Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Welcome back, everybody, for episode number six. Yeah. That sounds right in my head. Our final episode with overwhelming audio issues, hopefully. (laughs) Knock on wood. This is the last of our batch. For those who haven't, we try to record ahead of time and get some episodes ahead. So we recorded, whatever, three or four, and I don't edit them until the week of. So unfortunately, when you record three or four and there's an audio issue with a mic, yeah, you kind of got to ride it out for for three or four weeks before the problem is corrected, which our last one we just recorded for next week, who you don't know who it is. That one sounds pretty good. Yeah. And this one just a little off. Plus, we did it over cell phone. Yeah, I think it's uh, more that than anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was over the phone and we really couldn't avoid that. Um, our, our guest, John Zimmer, was on the road and the, the way that the software was working, he couldn't hear me through my microphone. So I actually had to call in um, to make it work. So it was bizarre. But, you know, it's a <laughs> we keep telling ourselves this because we have the same stupid issues every week. But um, it's about the, the content and not necessarily <laughs> the quality of audio. <laughs> I don't know. Don't You're get probably me getting wrong, tired again. We are. Uh... Especially more so probably me on my end. Very frustrated with not an overwhelming awesomeness of quality. Uh, but hopefully we got it figured out. And we did some more testing after we talked to John. For, so for future episodes, if we need to talk to someone via phone, we figured out kind of what went wonky there. So Justin can have his mic plugged in through Zoom so we can take the Zoom, take the phone call and bring you a better sounding quality. That being said, we gave you enough of a heads up to know that we were going outside the box this week. Yeah. And depending on what you were thinking, because we had some predictions and some people's predictions on Monday when we posted who it was going to be, their outside the box was kind of dead center in our usual box right so in the box i know a lot of people were not seeing this one coming it was it was super different from what we've done um i really enjoyed that the first comment was Derek o'donnell <laughs> directly following the nick sweet episode um we would love to talk to Derek, and it's uh it's gonna come in the future i hope uh but not this week um this is totally different i, I mean totally different um, John Zimmer, cool guy. We didn't know him until 20 minutes before Tom pressed record. Just a, a really fun, fun deal. Um, and our thanks to Travis Marcotte, who set the whole thing up. Travis, part of the Jamie Obi team and, and, uh, sponsored our lemons car a few years ago. I think he gave us 25 bucks and, and I got some chicken wings at the, at the tavern. So that was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, John Zimmer from Virgens and, uh, my, my neck of the woods here in Addison County, just a really down to earth, straight shooter guy really grateful for where he's at you could tell that immediately that like he's 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 uh he's smelling the roses every step of the way 
Now we're about a week or so from when we recorded this episode and you're talking and I automatically thought of a couple things that I wanted to ask him that I didn't, that I thought would be entertaining and I'm really annoyed. I wanted to ask him what his favorite dish at Applebee's is because if you go on his Monster Jam profile, it says (laughs) favorite food, anything from Applebee's. And I wanted to ask his his go-to for Applebee's. Just to show you, you know, real down to earth guy. That's how small town. That's how small town Vermont is, right there. When when anything at Applebee's is, is is your favorite thing to eat, you don't get out much. How perfect is that for the show, huh? And you know, life on the road for years and yeah. years and years. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot of Applebee's and Chili's and Waffle House down south. Mm. Yeah, that's where I'm at. But a like you said, great episode. We went in a lot of different places that, frankly, like I said, we didn't know where it was going to go because we didn't really know them, but some real cool stories. And like we kind of hit it at the last few weeks, it's kind of the journeys of all these drivers, no matter the discipline, that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Yeah, there's a lot to identify with if you're an oval track fan or, or driver or crew member or whatever that that, that John Zimmer talks about That's it really matches up the same. In fact, it might be... Um, on a grander scale because he's traveling cross country. Um, but the late nights and the, you know, sleeping in hotels and, and we just did a show on Thursday night and we got to be somewhere else and set up at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. And it's a thousand miles between, you know, I think a lot of our racers will understand that. Um, and certainly a lot of our fans who like to travel around, it's, it, it's a, it's just a great different perspective that, that really lines up with, with everything else that we've done. And towards the end, we get to hear kind of what it's like for him to transition during this pandemic time from focusing on himself to his son starting a career in monster trucks as well and him getting to enjoy that that journey. And we won't spoil it for you, obviously, but it was a real cool conversation. And happy birthday to his son, Jonathan, by the way. He just turned 21 like a day or two after we after we did the recording. So yep. hopefully he's listening and, and happy, happy happy late birthday. Absolutely. So, that being said, it is time now for Justin to introduce today's guest. This week on Uncommon Deeds, uh, we're going a little bit out of our comfort zone. Uh, We've been talking about oval track racers since the show began, but uh, tonight we're going a little bit, uh, well, up in the air, um, so to speak. We've got John Zimmer on the line with us. Uh, John's a Vermont native and uh, one of the top outstanding monster truck drivers in uh, Monster Jam and and elsewhere, um, he's driven just about every famous truck you could ever imagine. Grave Digger, Superman, all of them. And uh, right now he's the driver of uh, Dragon and Ice Dragon. And even more importantly, the next generation is coming up through uh, with his son, Jonathan. So, John, welcome to Uncommon Deeds. Thanks for joining us. Oh, no. Thanks for uh, having me on, man. I was excited when I got the call. Yeah, we've got uh, a couple of mutual friends. Um uh, Travis Marcotte, who's uh, been a, a big sponsor of race cars, and um, our listeners will know the name Jamie Obi pretty well. Um, Travis is uh, a big part of the Jamie Obi team, and um, I know a guy that you that you know, and we haven't actually discussed this, but uh, Todd Mori um, is a good friend of mine, and uh, Todd's one of the announcers oh, yeah. and, and uh, one of the drivers. Todd actually announces with me uh, at Devil's Bowl part time, uh, so. We've, we've made that connection and Todd isn't the one that got us in touch with you. Actually, it was Travis. 
Um, so it, it's just kind of cool how it all worked out. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, small world, I guess, is how they say it, right? I have to get this out of the way. You are making me an incredibly super cool dad right now. My, uh, <laughs> Same here. My son is four. I have twins, and he is obsessed with monster trucks. He has to play Monster Jam Steel Titans about every day after yep. his quiet time. And he's always plays with Dragon because the Dragon can shoot fire out of the front. Yeah. And I let him know, and he was vibrating that I was talking to you today because yeah. you are his absolute favorite. And I was tempted to let him try to stay up to say hello, but I knew they weren't going to go to bed afterwards, so I had to, to fall on that grenade. But thank you very much for making me the cool dad. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm definitely the coolest. I get to drive a giant dragon, you know, as a living. <laughs> Uh, my daughter, my daughter is three, and she's a big Megalodon fan. But uh, you'll do. <laughs> Perfect. I'll take that. <laughs> so, yeah. John, tell us how and you got involved, maybe in motorsports in general. Where did you start getting a love for motors that made things move? Uh honestly, I. It would have been a, a super early age. Uh, I grew up in Virginia, Vermont. Um, and I, I, I truly remember, I could, like I said, I don't know an age, but I, anything that had an engine, so whether it was a backhoe, a big rig, a cool car, I always just remember being intrigued. And as I got older, I got into, you know, four-wheelers and snowmobiles and just different things. And uh, as I became a teenager, uh, I, you know, we spent, my cousins and I would spend, every weekend at Devil's Bowl Speedway or we'd go into the Addison County Fair and Field Day to watch the tractor pulls. It was it was just anything I could do to be around motorsports. Um and then I got into racing snowcross when that first really got going, I think I would say late nineties. But during all that time I just would always watch monster trucks on T V. Like I always remember just a huge passion for it. And just I would say through random circumstances I got a chance to kind of be around some of the smaller teams and learn what it was like. And I mean, I guess that that was, that would really be how I got into it. I didn't necessarily choose monster trucks. Like I, I was a big fan of dirt modified still am. Uh, I always kind of pictured myself, you know, like a 13, 14 year old that that's what I would do. But I ended up on this route and I love it. Who was, uh, I guess who was the one that, that kind of introduced you to, uh, monster trucks and stuff because I read a little bit up on you today and you know you came out of truck poles and tractor poles and you know snow snowmobiles and stuff like that which is it seems like that makes more sense moving into monster trucks than you know devil's bowl but there yeah. had to have been there had to have been a connection somewhere who, who was that for you uh, for me it, it was a, there was a few guys there's um there's another guy from the Northeast named Jeff Bercy, who was from Massachusetts at the time. So this is 20 years ago. I met him, I want to say in Rutland, Vermont, maybe at a very small, small show. And just, he was super nice. And uh, we just stayed in touch. And through him, he really, I would say, got it so where I could try to get involved is the best way to put it. Because it's, it's, it's like every motorsport, you know, the independent teams 
so your non-monster jam is the best way to put it. Right. Um, you know, they struggle to do this. Uh, the monster trucks are like any form of racing. They cost huge amounts of money. and So it's hard at that level to get in and make a living. So I knew I needed to get in and just become a mechanic. And I truly never thought about driving. But I would say Jeff Bercy really helped me in the late 90s start to get involved, giving me my first shot to do this to where I would could try to make a living would be a guy named Andy Slifko out of Pennsylvania. And he owned the Eradicator team. So those those two people were my big, I would say, push or help. And what are you doing for work while you're chasing this dream? I would say the first four to five years of my career, I was really lucky enough to work for a company called TPW Management right there in Vermont, Southern Vermont. And uh, I did a lot of construction and carpentry. And the owner of that company, a guy named Paul Carocchio, was just super, super cool with me in this sense. When I went to him and told him, look, I have a chance to go be kind of like become a mechanic and go to these shows on the weekends and learn the ins and outs, but it doesn't, you know, pay a lot. He truly like if you can work three or four days a week i'm good like chase this dream your wife supports you at 20 years old so go do it so if i wouldn't have had that i don't know that i'd even still be in this sport if that makes sense how old a guy are you me right now i'm 40 i, I don't know 43 <laughs> <laughs> i had to think about it You've been on the road a while, <laughs> but <laughs> so then you, you were real young when you got into this if, if late nineties and you're only in your early forties right now. I mean, you're, you're still a kid at that point. Yes, for sure. I, I got married. I was 20, just turning 21 and I got married really early. I'm still with my wife today, 20, whatever years that is, 22, 23. Uh, and then she was super cool too with it. Um, so, yeah, I would say five to six years of getting into this was being involved almost at a full-time level, but still bouncing back to Vermont, working a normal job uh, to pay the bills, you know, going out on the road and just learning what I could. Now, honestly, mechanics-wise, I never pushed to become a driver. It was a crazy start to it. What was the first road trip you took? Oh, gosh. I don't know that I would remember the first one. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I would say, I remember tons. With with Andy Slifko, the, the guy I started with, he had an auto mechanic shop in Pennsylvania. And I, I remember going there and just thinking, he's crazy because he would he was a big, kind of a gruff guy. And he'd be talking to me on the phone. And I can remember, he's like, look, we've got to go to Houston, Texas next week. And I'd be like, okay, I'm going to have to try to get off work because I probably need to be there Tuesday. And he'd be like, just be at the shop Thursday by 5 p.m. and we'll be there Friday. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> and, like, this, that is how we did it. We jumped into the, the custom motorhomes that they would run, uh, big motorhomes, and you would just go to Houston, you'd do the show, you know, maybe tear the truck up, whatever happened, happened. You'd load it, and you would literally be back in Pennsylvania Sunday night, and I'd be headed to Vermont. So those are some of my first memories was just wow. how hard those guys worked to do that life, you know? And how much camaraderie 
is there in that? Obviously, so far we've we talked to a lot of stock car races, and we hear from a lot of them about the camaraderie in the pits, or the camaraderie in their team, where they have guys coming over at you know seven o'clock at night and stay oh, until it's... two in the morning to get their car ready for Thunder Road on a Thursday. Is there that same grind in that same kind of team atmosphere? Oh, that, without a doubt. Uh, for the the monster truck industry, the the teams are so spread apart. You know that um, side of it. You, it's rare to see guys coming to other guys' shops unless they're traveling. But when you get to a show, it's like, you know, I when I started driving, I'm there to win. There's no doubt about it. I don't. I, I want to win hands down you're there to race and put on a show but yeah if a truck breaks it's nothing to see the entire every team there jump on that truck but to this day it's like that and if anything is to happen on the road it's it, uh actually when i was working with andy he had a really bad trailer fire and i just remember i was probably 24 25 when that happened and i remember andy who was just this big tough monster truck guy and after the fire had happened the only thing we got out of the trailer, and this is on the side of the interstate, was the actual monster truck. We drug it out with a pickup truck that happened to be going by. So everything he owned, all the parts, all that money, went up in flames. And I remember just seeing him in tears like, well, there goes that. And by the next morning, we had another trailer at our shop. We had tires at our shop. It's just, it, right then I knew, like, this is one giant family of monster trucks. I mean, it sucks to go through that, but that's that's a nice eye opener to to know that you're, you know, you guys are in. Yeah, without a doubt, and that's that's what I mean. It was crazy times for him, and he survived it, and everything's good. But yeah, to see that, I guess it was still early enough in my career where maybe I didn't quite know what that atmosphere was like, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. And that proved right there, like you can call on any one of these guys any time of the night whatever it is, and they're going to help you. Well, I was going to say, was that was that the, you know, you're still only a couple of years into it at this point. Was that the one, was that the moment that was like, all right, this is what I'm doing? Probably. Honestly, I would say that moment was a little before that. Um, I got to meet Dennis Anderson, um, mm -hmm. and it's, it's like a full super fan type thing, but my wife and I have to be vacationing on the Outer Banks, and that's where the great diggers from. So I never forget that to this day. We just stopped there as a tourist. So you have the big bigger uh, dungeon, they call it. And I remember, you know, buying the T-shirt, and it, it was quiet that day at the shop. And I remember walking around and thinking, man, how cool would it be to run into Dennis Anderson, you know? And long story short, I ran into him, and that man took about six hours of his day to just hang out wow. and talk to me like he he didn't know me from anyone. Wow. And it was that really that day and him asking, you know, where do you, where would you come see me live? And well, I've been to Lebanon Valley, New York, you know, he'd say, he's like, well, you come next year and I'll remember you. And I did. And he remembered me. And it was like that, that moment is what like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to make this happen. So that's what really just those moments made me go after it to see how he was. Have you had, that moment where you're the Dennis Anderson where, you know, a kid comes up to you and, and knows who you are and, and thinks the world of you and, and you spend the time with him. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, I would say that meeting 
with him formed me to who I am when it comes to our fans. He definitely, I've always taken to where I remember that moment. It, it may not come in my head, but I know it's there because I will spend as much time as I need to, you know, and that's hard when we're crazy busy and the schedules when life's good and normal. But I do, and I will, I've always been that way. And I almost have like an underground cult following. It's really weird. And I've noticed it more traveling with my son now. But, yeah, it, that helped shape me just how he was. You'd mentioned your wife and a big kind of on the nose mark with everyone we talked to about is how much having the support from your family matters in trying to pursue a motorsports goal. How big was your family in giving you the opportunity to make your dream come true? Oh, unbelievable. I mean, first my, my, my immediate family. So that'd be my parents and, uh, my mom is the sweetest woman in the world. She always has supported me. That's what moms do. But she really was for this. Because uh, there were definitely times when I moved into the driver's seat and the money got tight because maybe shows didn't pay the owner and the owner might not have paid me or, or whatever. They would be right there to pick us up, if that makes a ton of sense. But And then my wife, no lie, there was probably three years straight where I was driving the shock therapy truck. By then my career had started taking off, but we were so busy booking the trucks that we were averaging almost 60 shows a year. And I literally would come home for Christmas day, maybe be home three days. And I would be right back either in the shop, building the trucks or on the road with the truck. So without her, like, Still, like me not coming home and there's no wife. If, you know what I mean? Like, huh, well, she did leave. She was always there, always. So you mentioned something just a minute ago about the promoters not paying the team owners. I mean, that's something you hear about in the 1940s and 50s. Like, that's is that still happening? Uh, I, I don't know. I, w- I would say it's probably way less. Um the past my career has gone has gotten me away from that type stuff. It probably would happen, but yeah, it might be some random, you know, not even a promoter, a guy that just rented a dirt track in the, you know, wherever they, they hire trucks, you know, right. And they want to do a show and what your dream is, you know, 8,000 people show up and instead 80 people show up. So, you know, that's when that stuff used to happen and it didn't happen a lot by any means, but, uh, any of your true, honest promoters out there, that does not happen. They 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 know that they need to set aside to cover their butt. So can you give us an idea of, uh, since we're talking about money, what does it take to run one of these trucks? If, I, if I'm starting from absolute zero and I want to go, you know, run a truck at Monster Jam and build a team from the ground up, I mean, those those trucks make, you know, what, a thousand horsepower, twelve hundred horsepower. The tires look like they're, you know, the size of my house. You know, how much does all this stuff cost? You know, if you're if you're yeah, if you're going top of the level, so you're doing the NASCAR, which is monster in of monster trucks, right? Mm-hmm. Now you truly can buy every part on a monster in truck or monster truck aftermarket. So it's all billet guys are making just these crazy custom parts and you are going to have the, one of the strongest trucks out there. 
just to do that. So no spare parts, none of it, none of the hauler, none of it, just to pull out of your shop to do it right here near 300, 250 to 300,000. Per truck? Per truck. Wow. You know, no hauler. So when you see them roll yeah. over on TV and a tire goes flying, they jump out and celebrate, but someone in their in their head is seeing figures roll in front of their eyes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, someone, yeah, for sure. Somebody's counting the beans. Do you get, I mean, but but that's a huge part. I mean, that's like the part of monster trucks that, that get everybody excited. That's what gets the kids excited is rolling them over and tearing the body off and blowing the shocks out and the smoke comes, you know, goes everywhere. I mean, it's almost as if you guys do it on purpose. Is that true? Uh, I truly never have crashed on purposely. I would say... A lot of it is because we truly are just going that nuts. You know what I mean? You're only going to send something that's 12 feet tall and 13 feet wide and weighs 12,000 pounds, 40 feet in the air so many times before it decides it's not going to land right or a backflip goes wrong. But, yeah, a lot of that's just guys trying, and it ends up in some crazy stuff. And sometimes you make a save, which is, you know, fun to watch, or sometimes it's just a big old crash. Uh, it sounds it sounds like I, well I guess I, I, the follow up question is what do you guys get paid and you don't have to give us exact figures but it must be worth it if you keep going out on the road yeah so yeah, without taking too long like so when I started yeah I didn't make squat as a mechanic you I wouldn't even call it a weekly paycheck as I moved up and Andy even treated me very well as he put me into the driver's seat so I. You work on the truck, you you drive the hauler, plus you drive the monster truck. So if you figured out all those hours and what you got paid, no, it's probably not worth anything. But it was I could live off that. And then as time progressed and I got better, uh, I had moved some teams and uh, was still doing everything with a teammate, you know, the money was better. Now, when I went to Monster Jam, so now I've left what would be independent life and became a full monster gym employee. Yes. That's like stepping up, you know, you went from devil's bowl and now you're moving into Xfinity series, right? That's the step difference. If that makes sense, as far as making a living. So for me, monster gym was, I didn't work on the truck anymore. I, I literally fly in, drive it and fly home. How big do you think having that, mechanical foundation for monster trucks was important for you when you advanced even into driving full-time, at least knowing the ins and outs of how your machine worked? Oh, I think it it helped me a lot. Um, I was really lucky within a year or two in my career to start getting a lot of wins. And I've done very well in that sense. And I truly feel always being that guy that worked on my truck through those years helped me do that because I can deal with socks, shock setups and, you know, I'm the guy that rebuilds the shock. So I know what's in them and I can tell the vibrations and uh, all of that. Yeah. It helps immensely. And as, as I moved into monster game, I noticed the difference. I could tell the guys that were brought up like I was, to the ones that were brought in to become drivers. There was a massive difference. Is there a lot of that kind of pay to play? I mean, you see that in NASCAR now, you know, every other ride is 
is somebody with a big sponsor or, or a rich dad or grandfather or something. Is that the case with monster trucks? Uh, I don't know so much that way, but more so image. You know what I mean? They're, you're changing. I'm trying to word this right. Uh, that good old boy image to the more, maybe some, you know, more female, more sportsy type guy drivers. It's an image thing more so than a money type thing. You kind of hit on it a minute ago. What led to that opportunity to go from, you know, the independence, if you will, to Monster Jam? Uh, for me, it was um, the team I was with at the time, which would have the annual shock therapy truck. Um, that was a great sponsorship for that team. I had a great relationship with Amsoil. Uh, that truck really propelled my career in like a three-year time span to where we were doing the Monster Jam events um, and doing very well against their top names. Uh, and when that happened, I slowly started, you know, talking to higher-up friends in Monster Jam. And it would be brought up, hey, ever thought about coming to work for us type thing. And I would say two years, I was kind of always like, nope, I'm good. And some things happened with that team, not on the sponsorship side, but with the team side, that just I didn't like, and it kind of went downhill. And right at that same time, like, it, it couldn't have worked out better that I got the call from Monster Jam that they wanted to talk. And I literally was like, look, I don't, I don't know if I'm ending my career right now, like calling it. I'm good with where I'm at, but if you have an offer, I want to hear it. And they literally said, you'll be one of the gravedigger drivers. We want you to move to North Carolina, blah, blah, blah. So it was like laying out my dream right in front of me at that time. That is how that happened. So I, you know, forgive me for being uninformed and maybe ignorant on, on some of this stuff. I love, you know, watching monster trucks and, and watching it on TV, but I don't know all the ins and outs of how this works. And I keep seeing Feld Motorsports and Feld Entertainment. Are they the owners of Monster Jam and the trucks, or how does this work? Uh, so they they do. They own Monster Jam, and they own, um, I would say, half of the fleet that you might see on TV. So the other half is independent um, owners, like who my son works for and who I technically actually work for now. And they get brought in, so they're hired in to do the shows. And then, you know, say the independent side of it is they're paid a set fee, but they're also paid on how well they perform. How, how is, you know, with us dummy stock car racers, you run 30 laps and the first one to get there is the winner. How How is all this determined? Because it's scores and stuff, isn't it? It's judges? Well, uh, so the, they have now what's called... So we start every show uh, with true racing. So it's whether if it's 12 trucks, there's 16, eight, whatever. They do bracket racing down to the last two. And you might do what we call Chicago style racing, which is a like a round and round single track race. Uh, or they do some different versions where it's a J-hook style, so a lot tighter turn type racetrack. But yeah, they truly race. You go, you qualify and you get paired up off fastest and slowest and you work right down to the final of the last two. And that's just all off racing. That's, that's how my excelled at. 
because uh, that's the racer in me. I think the year I was in ice and I went seven wins out of eight shows in a row or nine shows maybe. So that's the racer side. The fan side is what they call skills challenge. So it's basically to go out there and I don't know if you've seen the guys now, they can do basically like an endo like you're on your bicycle and they can walk the truck around and on the front or on two wheels. So that's skills and then you end the night with freestyle and freestyle is just a minute and a half to I call it expressing yourself in your truck and it's basically just going buck wild. <laughs> and that you that you get scored on. Well, I've shown my daughter even before we knew, long before we knew that, that we were going to be talking to you, I've shown my daughter, and I'm sure Tom has, has shown his kids the video of you on your, you know, two back tires with the flame shooting out the nose of Dragon. I mean, that's just, that's totally awesome. <laughs> like, so that's, yeah. that's your, that's your skill stuff. How, how the hell do you learn how to do that? How many, how uh, many bodies me, do you have um, to go through? The truck body or my personal body? Well, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, personally, I'm good. I've never actually been hurt with the truck. But uh, so they do have what's called Monster Game University, and that is where they train the newer generation. Uh, for us old school guys, my training was every show. I just got in the truck and did my thing, and if it was a new trick or just something someone was doing. If I was going to learn it, I just had to learn it. So sometimes it might take a few bodies, but I was, I guess, naturally good with it. It always seemed like I could pick the trucks up pretty well on what to do with them. And with all racing organizations, fans are obviously important, but it seems like with Monster Jam, everything kind of completely revolves around the fan experience to the point where you have the fans in the stands able to vote on who's winning in real time. How vital is it for monster trucks to have that completely encompassing fan experience? Oh, it's a hundred percent what we live on. The show itself, like the racing and all that, that's amazing. And it's as a driver, I love getting behind the wheel to race. What I truly do enjoy more is, we spend more time with our fans than any motorsport, any sport. And what's cool is over the years of doing it, the fact that that is what makes us. I think, and it's, I've always learned it when I've had a really just a terrible night, right? You just crashed or the trucks broke super early and you're so mad at yourself or you're mad at the, what you did to the truck as far as, Oh, I didn't fix that. Right. That's why that, whatever. And then literally after the show, those fans don't even care. They they come to see you. They still have bought your merchandise. They've got a sign they made. And they're like, oh, you know, they just make you feel so good. And it's because of how we are to them, because of how they are to us, if that makes sense. Well, if there's no fans, there's no show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's in, and I mean, I, I spent so much time with my fans over the years and, I've truly become good friends with some of the families and fans we've met over the years. And it's, they just make you realize like, wow, Hey, I, because of them coming out, I do, I've done this for over 20 years almost. And my son is now making a living. So it's, we never, I don't think you'll ever see a monster truck driver shun a fan off ever. I want to, I want to go back a little bit. 
you um, you mentioned when we were talking about freestyle and skills that you really your 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 lessons are trial by fire. Where there's Monster Jam University for the the, the younger guys, but you know you you learn as you go, or or that's at least how you were brought up. And I've you know I've always sort of tried to pay attention to especially the freestyle stuff when you guys are driving over ramps and flying you know 40 feet in the air. And I've noticed that like there's different drivers that have different techniques even for the same trick. And I noticed that you particularly, yep. you know, when you're up in the air, you slam the brakes on and lock them all up. What, what is that, you know, what, what are the skills that are involved in that? And, you know, how do you arrive at, at knowing to do that? Or is it just something that you do that nobody else does? Or, you know, what are, what are sort of the quirks that, that have gone into this? It's, it's really no different than, you know, Kenny Tremont always drives on the inside line. Whereas Vince Quinville is always on the outside line, you know, and, and it's just every driver's preference or is it, is there an actual reason why you do stuff like that? Oh, there's definitely a reason. Uh, for me, like, uh, the brake checking in the air on big air is the snow cross, right? They, they'll use a brake to adjust the bike in the air or the snowmobile in the air. I realize that even though a monster truck is so massive, the rotating tires, when you grab the brake quick, it'll adjust the nose. So it'll bring the nose down or, or however you want to look at it. So a lot of times I'll do it because I, the nose of the truck is way too high in the air for what I want. I want to see where I'm coming down. So I'll adjust it by locking the brake. And then you'll see the tires pick speed back up once the truck's adjusted. Um, Damon Bradshaw, who comes from Supercross and is the beast from the east, he drove for years in Monster Jam, and he was one of the first doing that. And as soon as I saw him do it, um, I just took that style. And now tons of guys use it, some more so than not. Um, for me, it's it's adjusted. I don't like when I jump really big, 30 to 40 feet in the air. I hate looking basically out into Neverland and not knowing where the truck's coming down. Another example is backslipping. That took off, I probably think, I think the first backslip I did was probably five years ago. Um, and another driver named Neil Elliott, who drives the maximum destruction truck, he had given me pointers on how he flips. Well, I took his pointers and still used basically the concept of backslipping one. But I slow mine down a lot to where my flips are lower to the ground. And I seem to be able to land a lot more than maybe most whether that's a luck thing or the way I do it. But the way I see it, the truck's still doing a backflip, but it's getting on its wheels. It's not 40 feet in the air, which could break everything on the truck when it lands. Right. And if it doesn't rotate, it's not landing on the cage from 40 feet in the air. So that's right. another adjustment that I might do, say, no one else does. What goes through your mind the first time that you're 40 feet in the air and everything's quiet? Uh, yeah, the first time you really just full send a monster game truck, uh, it's almost eerie. <laughs> it really is. Cause you get used to over the years, like as it's evolved, you get used to certain heights when you're jumping, right? And then everything's evolving, everything's evolving. And you finally do, you know, a, just a massive leap. It really is eerie because you realize I'm looking at the second level in Reliance Stadium type you know, where there's 70,000 people and then it registers that you're probably 40 to 50 feet off the ground. 
does it hurt when you land? I mean, to me, it hurts me watching it on TV. Every yeah, every now and then we you get one that's like a stinger, you call it, um, where it just kind of knocks the breath out. As far as hurt, hurt, no, I truly have always got out of my trucks and been fine. I honestly would give the seat companies the credit for that one, like ISP and the Butler seats, because when we switched to those seats in 08, 09, I think is when I got my ISP, I thought there's no way this is better for me being a fully contained seat. It just didn't make sense. And then within one show, I realized, oh my God, this is, this is like the biggest advancement ever. And, and circle track fans will be familiar with those, you know, especially, especially Butler, but ISP is a big seat builder for, for circle track racers as well. So there's, there's some crossover in the, at least the safety equipment that you guys use. Oh, for sure. For sure. Simpson, we've had a lot of involvement with Simpson over the years. Uh, a lot with ISP, to be honest with you, Chris, uh, is it Vandergriff, I believe started ISP. He really showed willingness to work with us where a lot of the other seat companies maybe didn't. And I know it's, I think it's for racers when racers look at monster trucks, they don't think there's similarities as far as being involved. And that really is a lot. And uh, Chris with ISP was one of the first to step up and just build us. It's a monster truck seat. Just thinking like if you were to look at, you know, Bigfoot from the 80s to the Dragon today, the safety differences have to be huge. Oh, it's it's massive. It, you know, the biggest question the fans want to know is when we crash. You know, I've I think I flipped one of my graveyard trucks five times end for end before it ever came to rest, and they automatically assume did that rattle your cage and it's. We literally can do that, get out of these things, and be totally fine. And that 100% is how safe they are now. Whether it's safety to the fans, uh, with the wheel system we run now, to the dry fast system we run now, it just all of it has advanced just astronomically. Did, did drivers get banged up back in the early days of monster truck racing? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. There used to be a pretty crazy video, and it might still be online if someone wants to look for it. Uh, and I think it was from ISP seats, but it was so most of us drove in like a beard seat, which is a suspension style seat, I guess you'd call them, like an mm-hmm. off-road racer seat. And it's someone basically jumping their monster truck, and it side slaps, so it lands on the two side wheels. Well, they slow mo this thing down. And the person never realizes it, that they literally leave the seat, their helmet hits the outer door pillar, and then they come back into their seat. That's how much they stretched. Well, then the next video is a containment seat doing the same thing, and the driver never even wiggles. That's crazy. (laughs) It's scary scary to imagine. And now I want to look at the video, but. Yeah, he was, uh, it probably is still online, but it, that one there is like, whoa. And, and I can remember when I first started in the suspension seats, you know, I'd be out there and, I'm, of course, I'm on cloud nine, probably not really doing anything cool, but I felt like I was. And then I would take a jump and it would just it feel like I unhooked my belt. And then all of a sudden, bam, there they were again, tight. And it was the fact that you were compressing inside the seat. 
so everything does loosen up, and then it just you bounce back into it almost. Where all you know the butler seats, a lot of guys are using butler now, and that they give it just eliminates that. You now are one with the truck. So jump around a little bit. Do you still do any like smaller event shows or? Right now is really crazy. Obviously, everybody knows that. Yeah, COVID last year when it came, it really messed up a, a lot of things, right? Uh, for me, it almost opened things up. So what it did for me is right now, Monster Jam is running, but they're only running one tour, which means like Dragon and those trucks aren't back out. So right now, I'm actually not driving. But in turn, a very good friend of mine that I've been helping for about five years who owns a team in Indiana, he basically built a truck for my son at the end of last year. So what it's allowed me to do is travel with my son, who's now a rookie and 20 years old, and do more of the smaller stuff. Even though it's my son driving, I'm there with him. So for me, yes, in that sense, I am doing a lot of smaller stuff now. Uh, and I love it. And I ask because it seems like those would almost be as much fun as the Monster Jam stuff. I remember, whatever, nine, ten years old as a kid, they had monster trucks at the Champlain Valley Fair. And oh, yeah. my yeah. dad took me, and in, it was Bigfoot and Snakebite, and I got a Snakebite T-shirt, and it was the greatest thing ever. And then this past summer, they had monster trucks at Groveton. At Riverside Speedway. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it was our only, it was pretty much our only trip anywhere this past summer with COVID and everything. (laughs) But we made the trip for my son pretty much and just see him light up because he can get real close and he's seeing these and he saw Bounty Hunter and he got a Bounty Hunter t-shirt and it was the greatest day of his life. So I would assume a lot of those small, small events, you get so much more kind of personal interaction with people that don't get to see monster trucks that often. Oh, without a doubt. Um, and I like, I will never take away from my career. I, I never thought that I would have traveled to 16 countries and performed in the places that I have, but just the last two months of traveling with my son and the owner's son has a truck. So I have both boys and doing these smaller events it made me truly remember that those shows are what made me because I did 50 to 60 of those a year. But exactly like you said, it is so fun to just be relaxed and we might be there three or four days early at the the racetrack or fairgrounds and people just stop by, you know, Hey, can I show my kid the truck? Yeah, go for it. It makes it fun. You know, It, it, it reminded me why I got into it and why I love it. Like I do. So, now we transition into your son, Jonathan, and uh, there's a cool video online of of his first jump, uh, and you're right there in the truck with him telling him, you know, you got this. Don't worry about it. You've grown up watching this. You know what to do. How how cool is that for you? And not maybe not even necessarily as a dad, but as, as a, a mentor, um, and it just happens to be your son who's behind the wheel. That's almost indescribable, really. I mean, Jonathan truly has, is about the same age as me being in the sport. So he 100% grew up with it. Um, I think he's eight years old the first time we took him 
full time on the summer without his mom. And I remember my wife and me just being like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm letting you do this. But he just, he spent, you know, he spent a lot of summers in our big toter home and just being a little man. And I had always told him that he totally did not have to go after this as a lifestyle. He can do whatever he wants. And as time went on, you could, we just knew it was what he wanted. And now traveling, even with, uh, Jamie, the owner of these trucks, son is with us, Zach. Just having both of those be so young, willing to work so hard on the trucks, because they work right next to me when they break them, they've got to fix them, they just they do it all. All of that, and then watching them drive, it really, uh, I guess it's, it almost brings life to my career, even though I'm not driving, if, if you get what I'm saying. It's just such a cool feeling to see these guys doing it and living it and loving it. And they're good at it. Yes, for sure. Both of them are very good at that. Actually just kind of blows me away more than anything. But Well, speaking of being good at this, um, let's talk about you a little bit here and, and we're going to flatter you, but um, you know, six world finals appearances, you're asked to drive grave digger. You're asked to drive Superman. I mean, you, you're, you're good. <laughs> and, uh, and, and my man, Todd Morey, um, you know, I asked him a couple of questions about you leading up to this. And, um, you know, he said he'd put you up there in the same category skill wise as Dennis Anderson and Tom Mentz and, and all the names that are household names. I mean, literally household names in, in America as, as monster jam drivers. Um, are you, are you comfortable with that? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'd ever say comfortable. That's pretty flattering. I would say I'm lucky to have done as many shows as I'd, I've done in my career. I truly have done in the thousands of shows. And I'm very lucky to have the cards fall where they fall for me in ability, I guess. I'm very methodical when I drive and I try to be very technical and I try to think about what the truck wants and how me as a driver is going to make that happen. So I'm definitely not comfortable saying I'm as good as or in that category, flattered for sure. But I'll say it could just be because of how much I love it. I mean, I love our fans. When I get behind the wheel, I'm in a totally different world is the best way to put it. It's like I can become one with that truck, and it doesn't matter if it's Gravedigger or Dragon or Superman or Shock Therapy. It, it, it don't matter to me. As long as it's my seat, I'm happy. And it's got to be kind of in that sport. If people know your name, you have to be pretty good because it's a sport where the truck is the star. Oh, there's, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I learned that way early. You're, in a sense, it really doesn't matter who drives them. In a sense, in the long run, it does matter, right? Yeah. Same theory. Is there, is there a moment that stands out? I mean, there's got to be over, over the career you've had a moment that stands out where you're, you walk away from the truck and you're like, man, I nailed that one. Like, I'm, uh, you know, feeling like you're at the top of your game. Yeah, there, there definitely has been a few for sure. Um, I would say, gosh, there's definitely a lot. There's, there's tons of driving moments or maybe another driver making a comment, whether it was 
live on the mic about me that just really either touched me or just meant like hit me like, wow, I did this, you know? Um, but probably one of the most random times is, um, I was in shock therapy. So the way the world finals works is they try to get as many trucks there. It's the biggest spectacle there is. So not just competing, it's display trucks. So when fans come, they're going to see a hundred monster trucks on the property. Well, we were there as one of the displays. Well, what they do that fans don't get to see is they will open the practice up to teams that want to just make a pass down the world finals track. So this would have been all nine probably. And I remember some people from Monster Jam higher up coming over to me and I was just cleaning my truck and they said, Hey, are you going to make a pass? And I, I remember literally being like, well, I don't know, you know, I'm not in the show. Why would I make a pass type thing? And uh, one of them said, would be, you know, with a higher up authority look, kind of gave me this look and said, how about we rephrase it and say, we would like you to make a pass. Okay. I'll make the pass. Long story short, I run at that time world finals in Las Vegas, which is over 70 miles an hour down the straightaway. And then you have to make a hard, hard, hard turn back uh, and off the finish jump. And I remember making the pass and in my head, the little kid came out like, holy crap. Like that was so much fun. Like I can't believe how fast, you know, high speed the truck was. And just, it was just crazy. And I remember parking and I was still sitting in my truck and another driver came over and just started drilling me with questions on what's the tune up on the motor? What gears did I put in? You know, all these crazy questions. And I said, why are you even asking me? He goes, did you look at the times? And I said, no. He's like, you're the fastest truck here. So that's all nine. That's when it hit me like as a kid or fan that dreamed of doing that for a living. So now I'm halfway into my career. That moment hit me like, oh, yeah, I've arrived. That, that kind of gave me chill. That's kind of like an out-of-body sort of experience like that. This just happened. That's, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. Yeah, and it was so that one definitely, that'll always stick out. And then it was the very next year that I was invited to compete and in the actual world finals. And we qualified, I think third that year and went to either the quarterfinals or semifinals against Dennis Anderson of all people. And he literally, there's, I have a picture somewhere. He got me by half a tire at the finish. And Mm -hmm. I mean that I didn't care. I lost. It's like, I just lost to a legend at the world finals by half a tire. Meaning, Oh, well, yeah. like it didn't matter to me. All right. That is some cool stuff. How cool is it for you to get to, you know, have Middlebury, Vermont on your Monster Jam profile, whether you still technically are living here or not, and be able to kind of represent Vermont on a bigger stage where we don't see as many, you know, Vermont monster truck drivers. You'll see a lot of, you know, North Carolina on the buyers right. or those places, but you get to put Vermont on there. Oh, it's really, I mean, no matter where I am, my wife and I and, and my son was, we were all born and raised in Vermont. Our family's in Vermont. Some of my best friends are still in Vermont. So I will always keep on the bios and things like that, it'll always be Vermont. 
for me. We still go back there with our families. It's that's home to us. Uh, it always will be type thing. I mean, if I say Vermont, I'm not going to lie to you. If I'm in Texas and they, where are you from? Vermont. And they're like, where, what town's that? Like literally people don't even realize it's up there. Boston. It's Boston. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? It's a state. I swear. I swear it's a state. Look. So you, you said that you kind of grew up in the grandstands at Devil's Ball a little bit. Who'd you hang out with down there? Well, so some of my cousins raced, uh, the Ricky Davis, which sure. they, I think, are, I'm not sure where they're running now. Um, so that, 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 the Davis family is relatives of mine. And then Hector Stratton, we always just thought he was the coolest cat because he was from Bennington, Vermont. And the Zimmer family is truly from Arlington, Vermont, which is right by Bennington. So Hector Stratton and Kenny Tremont, and uh, I I liked it. I was right around when the Stones got into it. So like I guess it would be Todd Stone that mm-hmm. yeah got into the modified. So it was that time frame. We would literally go to Albany, Saratoga Friday. Then we we never we did Lebanon, but not a lot. And then Devil's Bowl on Sunday back then. So that that prepared you sort of for the road <laughs> in a in a roundabout way of you know maybe not quite the same kind of grind crossing the country, but, uh, you know, kind of gave you a taste of, of what you were in for yeah. as a monster truck racer. Yeah. I'm a, yeah. I've always been into it. I still, I still love dirt racing. Uh, we were just in Florida, uh, doing a bunch of shows. My son was right when Volusia was going. So my son actually got to experience his first, uh, four times sprint race at Volusia. Which most, like, the most scared I've ever been as a fan was up against the fence in turn one of Volusia during a World of Outlaws race. Oh my <laughs> god, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, the week we left, I think, is the week the Modifieds came down. So they were in Ocala right. the week before Volusia, maybe. But I just remember seeing it. I'm like, man, we're leaving, too. I could go catch a couple of Modified races. Mm. So so what's what's on the docket for you this year? It seems like COVID is maybe relaxing a little bit and you said that you're, you're busy. You're, you're already gearing up. Yeah. So for me right now, it's a hundred percent focused on Zach Garner, who's uh, the owner. So the team's overboard motorsports or overboard monster truck. They own uh, four trucks currently. Uh, so my son and the owner's son travel together and I am with them. And uh, we've really got super lucky. Um, a smaller promoter that we're great friends with that does a great show really likes the two boys. So we actually have been solid since the second week of January. And I think right now we're booked through May every week. So we got super lucky there, which is we're pretty much in the South. And then uh, probably for the rest of this year, I'm going to focus on them and then more fall kind of, start working on some things that we've been working on here that might have more to do with me. <laughs> but right now my main goal is the, the boys. And with your son older and traveling, does the wife get to travel with you a little bit more now and you guys get a little more time together with you kind of focusing on your son? No, uh, a direct opposite. We went from never seeing each other for the first 10 years of my career to uh, I was home every Sunday night flying 
and leaving Thursdays, and we saw each other all the time, and then now I'm back to, we don't really see each other that much just because we're on the road so much, but uh, she's good with it. She's she's an awesome woman, and we have a big, great day at home, so she's safe and sound. <laughs> All right, is she is she a is she a fan of of monster trucks or is she just like yeah this is what they do a fan of you? Um, she is. She's. I don't know that she follows it uh, outside of us by any means, but she's been to I believe all the world finals. Um, she's you know, my my wife, my daughter, and my son would always come to the world finals, uh, and they've traveled throughout the years to different shows and. Oh yeah, when she's there, she goes into full fan mode, and uh, she says she hates freestyle because it scares her. <laughs> she always says that. <laughs> but outside of that, she's she says I love racing, I love watching you race, but I don't really watch you freestyle just because. All right, we got a few just quick hitter questions here, and then we'll let you go. Thank you for all the time yeah, you've no given problem. us. Uh, first one: What is the uh, one car or vehicle you've had in your life? that you wish you still had today? Easy. 1987 Camaro Z28. Well, I Z actually T-top. Midnight Blue. That was the best burnout redneck car ever. And I had it when I was 16. What happened to it? <laughs> too many tickets. <laughs> just, too, just too many tickets. You shouldn't buy that car at 16. No. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> Uh, question number two is uh, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done well I usually say in a race car but what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in your monster truck dumbest I don't know on dumbest craziest sure that'll work craziest Um, so in at all the world finals they do what's called encores for the fans and it's always a big big surprise and we did, so they don't even know who the drivers are, so fans might not even realize this, but we did a train jump off of a steel motocross-style ramp for monster trucks. That might that one don't, doesn't look crazy, but when you're in the middle truck in the line of three hitting a steel ramp at 52 miles an hour, it surely feels crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, the truck just disappeared. Where'd he go? Then I was in the air, and I'm like, oh, there he is. I'll go land on him type thing. But, yeah, it all worked out. But at the moment, I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> uh, finally, if you're on one of these long road trips to an event, you're driving the whole way, who do you want riding shotgun with you for that road trip? Wow. I mean, the correct thing would be my wife, but I don't know that she'd talk to me much. We usually say, you know, wives excluded, so you don't get in trouble. Okay, perfect. Uh, who would, would it be? It would, I'm, I'm going to stay in racing only because it's true, but it would be cool to listen to probably Dale Sr., if he was around, just to ride that far and listen to the stories. Because I feel like his era of race car driver and to the style of traveling and monster truck life would be so similar. It would be amazing to see. Not the racing part of it, just the in-between part of it. Yeah, I bet there is quite a bit of crossover between 
what you guys do and and sort of how he was brought up with the old school racer mentality. Yeah, just to, you know, do a show Saturday night, load everything, drive, yep. you know, X mile, do another one. I guess I would love, I've always had that dream kind of the, how cool would that be? Or, or any of the racers of that era, I guess. And do you guys, especially like when you're doing those smaller shows, do you have that kind of big family atmosphere with all the other trucks? You know, I was talking to my dad the other day and he was upset because I didn't bring something up when we talked to Dave Moody. But uh, he had said like, oh, I remember when we used to go back from Airborne, we'd get to the ferry and it would be like a party. You'd you'd have all the trailers there. People are walking up looking for autographs, passing around beers, just waiting for the next ferry. All the drivers are hanging out, talking, and just having fun after a race. Uh, is it like that way now? Yeah. That's a smaller stuff, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's still uh, maybe not quite as heavy. Uh, every Everyone's life is so fast-paced now. Uh, I think I've noticed that, you know. We would get done, say, we'd get done a Sunday show, and we wouldn't tire down and load right up. We'd take our time, and it was everyone else there was, you know, you're BSing and just, hey, where where do you guys got to go? You know, that type thing. Now it seems like when you finish on a Sunday or a Saturday, guys are loading and leaving as fast as they can because they just have so much else going on in their lives as well. But during the shows, where you're not leaving or worried about getting down the road. It is a hundred percent hangout family atmosphere. Fans always are at the fence yelling back or, or getting into the pits and, and we don't, we're fine with it. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I, well, and to, to build on that, and I'm going to embarrass you again. Um, you know, it seems like you've got a reputation as one of the, you know, kind of the heart and soul, one of those kind of people in, in that, in that world. And, uh, I go back to my buddy, Todd Morey. Uh, he got hurt in Anaheim. He said back in 2000, maybe 13, he said, and you were the guy that said, all right, let's get in the car. And you drove him to the hospital. And cause it's all, everybody's, you know, all for one, one for all kind of thing. Yeah. I remember that. Now that you're saying it, I didn't remember it at all. <laughs> I forgot about that one. I do. remember. It. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's family and it's, and to, to be honest, you might not necessarily even get along with someone, right? But when it comes down to it, you're still in the same boat always. So you're always going to help out. And I think that's probably the coolest because you may not be buddies every day or best friends or best friends on the track, but when something's up, then you make sure it gets taken care of. Jonathan, if, any of our listeners want to keep up with you or your son? Is there a way where they can follow you? Oh, for sure. Uh, if they want to know where the trucks are going, you can check out overboardmotorsports.com or you can hit either of us on our social media. So mine is John Zimmer GD26 is my Instagram. And my boys is John underscore Zim. And we will put those links in the bio for the podcast so everyone can check you guys out. Beautiful. Well, awesome. I appreciate it. Hey, man, we we appreciate you. Uh, you know, we we didn't know you 
<laughs> until eight o'clock tonight. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's awesome. This all came together really short term. And um, I think that, you know, it, it's the Vermont community came together to kind of put this together for us. And uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your night to, to speak with us. And uh, hopefully things start looking like normal for you. Yeah, no, I thank you guys, man. When Travis called and was like, hey, you know, this guy's telling me, I was like, yeah, heck yeah. I think that's awesome. And I think it's great what you guys are doing for motorsports in general and especially places like Devil's Bowl and the stuff in the Northeast. It's, I think it's awesome. And hopefully we actually get more than a minute off someday. Maybe we'll get to the races up there. Yeah, it'd be great to shake your hand and meet you in person. Come on up. For sure, for sure. I appreciate it, guys. And another big thank you to John Zimmer for stopping in during a busy schedule to talk with us for more than an hour. Just super thankful for that. And once again, some great stories. You know, we teased it on Wednesday on the Facebook page with the video for the week. The story about just going to the big show as a show truck just like hey we need tons of monster trucks in the parking lot so it's just the biggest spectacular possible at the world finals like hey you guys are allowed to take some practice runs then more or less you know a bossing let's rephrase it we'd really like you to and then going out and being the fastest truck there right ahead of everybody all the monster jam guys That'd be like, oh, who do we have last? Nick Sweet bringing his pass car to Daytona just to show off in the infield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's like, hey, go take a lap and having the track record. <laughs> it's exactly that's exactly what it is. Uh, that's a that's one of the coolest stories that uh, that we've heard since we started this thing, uh, you know, a month or two ago. And I I I did I got goosebumps uh, listening to him tell that it was just. You know, you go to you. You're basically there to to watch the show, and you end up being the show, and it leads into your career. I mean, that's the next year. He's he's a full time driver. That's amazing. Uh, that's just cool. Don't forget, we're gonna put. We mentioned it right there at the end of the interview, but I'm gonna put all the links to John and his son, their Instagram, their website. It's in the description in the podcast that you're listening to. Check them out. Some really cool pictures and videos, mm-hmm. a lot from the road right now with his son, Jonathan, and what they're doing in Monster Trucks. So give them a look. Give them a follow. Send them a message saying that we sent you. And buy lots of uh, Dragon merch and, and tell, them, tell them it was from Uncommon Deeds. <laughs> yep. And then eventually and we're going to get merch the... and we want you to return the favor to us. That's right. <laughs> uh, there's nothing cooler than, than watching him do that that really slow wheelie with the flames coming out the nose of that thing. Yeah, I dig it. It's, it's pretty cool. I know. So that does it for episode number six. We'll be back next week. A special for you. Cause oh, yeah. we've had such a great response and we've had a lot of people who said, Hey, maybe some weeks we'd like a bonus episode, you know? And maybe it's just because we talked to somebody who uh, who forced who, it, <laughs> who told who a lot of really, really episode. good, 
long answers. So we have a special two-part week for you. Part one on Wednesday, part two on Friday. So our first venture into two in a week. We've talked about it, and we've wanted to do some bonus podcasts during the week on the shorter side that mm-hmm. we haven't got to yet. These are full-blown, full episodes. Two of them. Two of them. We sat down with this this gentleman, and next thing you know, it was three hours later. It was 11.30 at night. <laughs> and, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk more God. about it in the open for, it for was next fun, week's though. episode. It was fun. Yeah. So be on the lookout for two next week. Uh, rate, five stars, all that good stuff that we always oh, tell yeah. you at the end of the episode. Follow us on Facebook, Uncommon Deeds. Twitter, Uncommon Deeds. Uncommon Deeds podcast on the Instagram. And we will catch up with you for episode number seven next. Thank you for listening to Uncommon Deeds.